I've entitled my message this morning as with Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm. Those of you who are in Sunday school days, you'd remember this chorus that used to be sung in Sunday school. Do you remember it? With Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm as we go sailing home. The passage we are looking at this morning is found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 35 onwards. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This incident about Jesus telling the storm is mentioned in all the three Gospels, but especially in Mark's Gospel, he gives us a little more detailed information. And that is why our focus of attention this morning would be based on Mark's Gospel. There are two boat stories of Jesus stilling the storm in the Gospels. One is this passage, and the other one is when Jesus comes walking on the waters. Remember, in both these cases, Jesus stills the storm. In other words, we must also recognize, when you're looking at the Lake of Galilee or the Sea of Galilee, it was normal for storms to come in over there, because being fishermen, they were aware of it. But these storms also came up suddenly. And these are certain things that we must remember. Bombay has been going through a lot of flooding and storms. And sometimes the weatherman would inform you that there's going to be a high tide. Be careful. And you are careful that particular day. Sometimes there's information given which doesn't work out. Or sometimes in spite of all the information, you still venture out and you are caught up in a storm. Storms are normal and natural. If you don't have heavy rains during the rainy season, you may say, what's happening? There are no rains. But when there is a storm coming in, when there are floods coming in, we say, no, 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 we don't want so much of it. Storms are natural, especially if you are a fisherman looking out into the sea, going fishing, you would recognize that during this season, you better be careful. Even in our own spiritual lives, we have storms. And we must remember that there are three phases of every storm in the life of individuals. Either you're going into a storm, or you're in the midst of a storm, or you are coming out of a storm. In other words, I do not know which category you are in this morning, whether you have just come out of a storm, or whether you are just getting into a storm, or whether you are right now in the very thick of the storm. But the message that God has for us this morning, when you are looking at both the incidents 
of the storm on the sea and Jesus stilling the storm. In this passage we remember and we recognize this important truth that when there is a storm and Jesus is there with you in the storm, all that you need to do is cry out to him and he answers your cry. On the other hand, if Jesus is not with you in that storm and you wonder, Lord, where are you? The other passage speaks about Jesus walking towards them when he sees the storm coming. In other words, both situations, when you recognize that, yes, Jesus is there with you in the storm, just cry out to him. In times when you don't see him in the storm, cry out to him. And the assurance that God gives us is that he comes alongside of you. And that's the strengthening that we can take this morning. If you forget everything else about the details about this message, remember that Jesus is always there with you, whatever situation you are going through. And even if you don't see him, his hand very much present, just cry out to him. He will definitely hear your cry. He will come walking towards you in the midst of the storm. We're going to look at the detailed expository study of this passage. So let's get into the passage. Verse 35 tells us, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples. Look at the context of this particular passage. This is where Mark gives us this detail. He says, that same evening. What has happened that particular day? If you look at the chapter gone and at the beginning of the verses, you find that that day has been a time when Jesus has been teaching them a lot of parables. He has spoken about the parable of the sower and the seed. He has spoken to them about the lamp on a stand, the growing seed, the mustard seed. And all these things that Jesus has been speaking about is primarily speaking about your response to God's word. He's saying, this is what I have taught you. Now that I have taught you, if you notice in verse 24, he says, consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use it, will it be measured to you and even more. You have heard this? Now you should be using it. If you are only hearing and not using it, it's going to be useless. So that's what he taught them the whole day. It has been a theory session, as it were, of the importance of God's word and the importance of practicing it. Now, after having said that, he says, now let us go over to the other side. After the theory, what comes? The practicals, right? Now, Jesus has said, I've given you a whole day of theory. Now, let's get into a practical session. It is like when a teacher, after he or she has finished a theory class, will say, now class, I want to give you a test. To find out how much you have understood and grasped of what has been taught to you. And that's what Jesus really does. This was really a part of the curriculum, if you were to say. It was not just the theory that was part of the curriculum. The practical was also part of the curriculum. Did Jesus know there was a storm going to come? Yes, he knew that. And that is why he intentionally takes them there and gives them a practical session. And at the end of it all, he says, what happened? Why did you mess up? Where is your faith? Didn't I teach you all these things the whole day? Week after week, we come together for a theory session. 
During the week, we may attend a life group theory session. But remember, the curriculum includes what? Theory as well as the practical. And during the rest of the week, when the practicals come in, what's our response? When the storms come in, what's our response? Do we again cry out like the disciples, Lord, where are you? Don't you care these things are happening? Or do we quickly send out messages and say, I'm going through this, I'm going through that. And you pour out all your frustrations, not just to the Lord, but a whole bunch of people all around you. And say, this is what I'm going through. And of course, you put it down later also, please pray for me. But where is your faith? That's what Jesus is asking us over here. So this is the test that God is giving to his disciples. And when we go through every situation during the week, remember that is very much a part of the curriculum. God has not abandoned you. God is not present only when we come together in worship and when we are in our life groups together. God is very much there doing us everyday situations. That is part of his curriculum to teach us how to apply these truths in our lives. Moving further, we find three truths about the disciples over here. Number one, they were very much involved with the work of the Lord. They have been busy with Jesus. The whole day, Jesus has been teaching them and they have been very, very good listeners. They were very much involved with what Jesus was doing. Secondly, we also notice that they obeyed the word of God. Jesus told them at the end of a long day of teaching, let us go over to the other side. And immediately they obeyed. The scripture tells us over here, leaving the crowd along, they took him just as he was in the boat. The scenario is Jesus is in the boat, the crowd is on the land, and they don't even get time to get back home to refresh or get back home to do their different tasks. The whole day they have been with Jesus. Jesus says, now I want you to go to the other side, turn around. They immediately obeyed. They did not disobey. They obeyed the word of God. In other words, they were exactly doing what God wanted them to do. They were in the perfect will of God. But in the midst of being in the perfect will of God, doing what God was asking them to do, still, what happened? The storm came. The storm came. Sometimes we think, as soon as a storm comes into our lives, as soon as a trouble comes into our lives, immediately what do we think? Maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe God is punishing me for this thing that I said that or I did. No. This is very much a truth that God wants us to learn. That even though we are in the center of God's will, troubles and storms are not, uh, you know, if you were to say, only for the unbeliever or for the person who is out of God's will. It is very much a part and parcel of every individual who is in the center of God's will. Why? Because through that, if you notice, our faith in Him is going to become even more stronger. If you were to ask the disciples at this point of time, before the storm came in, at the end of the whole teaching session, do you have faith in God? What would they have said? I'm sure they would have said, yes, after all, I haven't been listening to Him the whole day. But now at the end of this incident, after Jesus has stilled the storm, if you ask them, do you have faith in God? What would they have said? The scripture tells us they were terrified. 
And he says, what manner of man is this? They have been raised to a different level of their understanding of who Jesus really is. And that is why the Lord gives us practical sessions. It is good to listen to theory, but unless we apply it into our lives, then only we are able to move into the next level of a closer walk with God. If you have not done a hands-on experience, it's all up there only in your heads. It doesn't mean anything to you. So the Lord takes us through these situations to teach us all these lessons. Now here it says, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. But in the midst of all this, we find that Jesus was asleep in the back of the ship. Jesus was asleep in the back of the ship. Now a question you may ask ourselves, after all Jesus was God, he knew that a you know, storm was going to come, he knew that he was not going to drown, so he was totally at rest, isn't it? And he was just watching what was going to happen to the disciples. No, not at all. He was at rest because he knew that God was very much in control. He did not need to panic in any way. And Jesus was asleep where, the scripture tells us, at the stern, at the point where the pilot controls the ship. And the important lesson that Mark is again giving us this information is, Jesus was asleep on the cushion, which was used by the pilot, and he was at the stern, the place where the pilot sits. In other words, even though he appears to be asleep, he is very much the pilot. He is very much the one who is in control. Psalm 121 tells us, isn't it? The Lord does not slumber nor sleep. It may appear to you and me as if he is sleeping. When you go through a storm, you may wonder like the disciples and say, Lord, don't you care? Are you, are you sleeping? Why are you not doing anything about it? But the Lord is saying, if you have the assurance that God is in control, you and I also can be fast asleep in the midst of a storm. Yes. The story is told of a contest that was there for a painting of peace. They had to depict peace by, virtue of, by, by a painting. There were three top contenders for this post, for this uh, place. The third place went to a painting of a peace conference which ended a war. Now, that was depicting peace, but that was not really the best picture. It won the third prize. The second prize was one of a picture of a woman wiping the forehead of a sick child that was asleep and recovering. That was a very peaceful picture. The mother slowly wiping the forehead of this little child on her lap who was sick. But that was only the second place. But the first place was one of a picture of a storm on a mountain. You could see the rain falling. You could see the lightning flashing and the wind blowing hard. And when the people looked at this picture, they asked the artist, how is this a picture of peace? And the artist then directed the attention to a cleft in the rock. In that cleft was a dove asleep with its head under its wing. And that won the first prize. There would be storms all around, 
But if you have been up to the mountains where are these little clefts, you can just go inside, you won't feel a thing. You won't feel any breeze whatsoever. You are safe and secure in the cleft of the rock. That's how Jesus is portrayed, isn't it? He is a cleft in the rock. When we are in the storms of life, if you can just find our niche, our nook in His presence, find that rest, we too can definitely be sleeping, resting in the storm. No matter what happens in our lives, we will not be ruffled. We will not be shaken. Is that your attitude this morning? When you go through the practical exams of life, or does the least thing ruffle you? There are some people who can easily get upset with anything that happens in their lives and immediately their faith goes for a task. But there are others who are still calm, cool and collected because they are aware that God is in control. So let's look at this morning seven principles from this passage. How can we smile when we are in a storm? How can we smile when we are in a storm? Principle number one, rest in the presence of Jesus. Rest in the presence of Jesus. Jesus tells them in verse 34, let us go over to the other side. That means he is going to go with them. He is not saying, go over to the other side and I'll see you on the other side. And sitting down over there, he sits and watches and say, I put them into a storm. Let me see how they're going to handle it. No, he is very much with us in the storms of life. Rest in the assurance of God's presence there with you. Just to give you a little more understanding so that we can get this passage in its full context. You know. Normally when we think of you know, a boat like this, we may think of small boats. And we may wonder there were 12 disciples plus Jesus in that boat. No wonder it would have capsized if there was water. But in 1986, the hull of a fishing boat was recovered from the mud of the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, which is about five miles south of Capernaum. And this boat was 26 and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, and four and a half feet high. It corresponds exactly to a Galilean boat at this particular period of time. And the boat was propelled by four rowers, two per side, and had a total capacity of about 15 people. Now that's to get you the size of this boat. The Sea of Galilee, which is also called a Lake of Galilee, it is approximately 53 kilometers in circumference, about 21 kilometers long, and 13 kilometers wide. And its area is 166.7 kilometers square. At its fullest and its maximum depth is about 141 feet. It is the lowest freshwater lake in the world. Now, this particular lake or this particular sea, it was not uncommon for the waves to reach a height of 10 to 12 feet and sometimes up to 20 feet. And one commentator says the sea was known to swallow entire ships and gulp down people. And also people thought that the sea 
was considered as a manifestation of the realm of death where there were mysterious creatures that were there and as a result even the other side of the lake they considered was demon possessed and as a result these demons from the other side used to stir up the lake and this was the fears that was there with these disciples. Now when Jesus has told them let us go over to the other side and Jesus is saying I am going to be there with you. We don't know what the other side is going to be, right? Oftentimes, it may be full of troubles. It may be situations you have never experienced before. It may be situations where people have said, Hey, this is dark places. But the Lord is saying, let us go over. Meaning, I am going to be there with you. And if He is there with us, His presence should give us rest. Remember Moses told the Lord very clearly, unless you are going to go with us, we are not going to take even one step. The presence of Jesus is what gives us really rest. Remember, he didn't keep the storm from striking the boat, but he kept the storm from sinking the boat. And God is telling us this morning, whatever storm you are going through, friend, he is there with you. Don't worry about it. It may seem as if it is too big. It may seem as if the bread, the boat is going to sink. But don't worry. The boat will not sink as long as the Lord is there with you. Amen. Secondly, remember the promises of Jesus. Remember the promises of Jesus. What is the promise of Jesus in this passage? He said, let us go over to the other side. He has promised them that he will definitely take us to the other side. God gives us the assurance that he will not leave us alone here. Sometimes we have fears in our lives. Will I really make it to the other side? As we grow older, maybe there may be questions. There may be situations that have become too tough for you. And you wonder whether your faith will still survive in the midst of all these pressures that you are going through. But remember the promise of God to you this morning. That He assures us that He will take us to the other side. He will take us to, from this life to the next life to come. He has given us the guarantee and none of his promises are going to be unfulfilled. He who has started the good work, he is the one who is going to finish it. Be assured of this promise that he has given. So when Jesus is on board in your life, you can be sure that your boat is never going to sink. The third important principle that we learn here is to relax in the knowledge that you are not alone. To relax in the knowledge that you are not alone. Mark gives us again this additional information in verse 36. It says, when they sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also other little ships. Mark is the only gospel that gives us this other an additional information. Why does he do this? Two reasons. One is to give additional witnesses to the event that was going to happen. 
to say, hey look here, this is not just people thinking that God still the storm. But no, it actually happened because other ships have also noticed that and seen that. Secondly, also for them, it would be an assurance that it was not at all a dream. It was very much true. When you and I go through situations in life, we relax in the knowledge that others are also going through similar storms. But often when we go through storms, what do we think? I'm the only one who's going through it, right? I'm the only one who's going through it. But Mark has given us this additional information to help us to understand this truth. Know there are other ships also. Others are facing the same type of storms, the same pressure of storms that you are facing. You are not alone. And as soon as we understand that truth itself, that's a great relief, isn't it? When you think you're all alone, the pressure is greater. But when you know others are also in the same boat, then the pressure becomes less. And that's why the body has been given to us. The book of Galatians speaks about bearing one another's burdens. Hebrews speaks about encouraging one another. And that is why we come together for fellowships together. So that we can share and pray and build up one another. And when there's a sharing of your need, what you're really saying is, Somebody else also noticed, hey, I also have that. And I also have similar situations in my life. And that becomes an encouragement to press on together. As long as you think you're the only one, you may get into a self-pity to say, poor me, I don't you know, deserve all that's been happening, so I might as well forget following after God. But when you are able to recognize this truth, there are others facing similar situations to you. It gives you the strength to go on. Fourthly, respond in prayer to the Lord. Respond in prayer to the Lord. What is the prayer that the disciples made? They said, teacher, don't you care that we are drowning? Teacher, don't you care that we are drowning? Was that a prayer? What is prayer? Prayer is expressing yourself and your feelings before God. Prayer is not coming up with high, nice words to say, Lord, I know you are the one who is majestic, you are the one who is overall, but in your heart of hearts you are feeling something else. Prayer is expressing your feelings before God. The book of Psalms is full of what? Prayers. And at the end of the pouring out, the Lord is the one who answers and grants the stilling of the storm. And when they are expressing, pouring out themselves before God, the Lord in no way says, I'm not going to listen to that prayer of yours. The disciples had this direct access to the master, isn't it? Nothing woke him up. The storm didn't wake him up. The noise around didn't wake him up. But as soon as the disciples cried out and poured their feelings before the Lord, the Lord answered their prayers. So we have this beautiful, powerful tool of crying out to God. And we must be willing to respond in prayer to the Lord when we go through the storms. They do not sit down with one another and say, none of you guys are doing anything about it. They pour out their feelings before the Lord. Oftentimes when we go through the storms of life, 
we can pour out our frustrations to people around us. That is not going to help. But when we pour out our frustrations before the Lord, that becomes a prayer that he answers. The Irish missionary Amy Carmichael wrote these words. She said, Thou art the Lord who slept upon the pillow. Thou art the Lord who soothed the furious sea. What matter beating wind and tossing billow, if only we are in the boat with thee. What matters if there are storms around me, as long as you are there with me. Now the problem for the disciples was that the greatest storm that night was not on the Sea of Galilee, but in the souls of the disciples. And one commentator puts it across this way. He says, the storm on the sea whipped up a storm of doubt within them that threatened to drown them all. It is not the external storms that are really important. It is the internal storms that makes the difference. When situations go through in your life, do you pour them out before the Lord or do you keep it inside or pour it to other individuals? Does the Lord care? Yes, he really cares. The fifth one, fifth principle, rely on the power of Jesus. Rely on the power of Jesus. As soon as they cried out, the scripture tells us he got up. He did not say, don't disturb me. He got up and he rebuked the wind. The word that is used there for rebuking is the same word that Jesus uses to rebuke the unclean spirit. And the literal word meaning over there is be muzzled and remain so. In other words, it's saying shut up, sit down, don't trouble anymore. These are the powerful words of Jesus to the storm. And when Jesus speaks the word, what happens is both the winds as well as the waves, both of them become calm. Oftentimes, after the wind ceases, you'll find that the waves are still in rubble, it's still rippling. But here, when Jesus spoke, not only the wind and the waves became calm. It was as if suddenly this whole sea became like a sheet of glass. That is how powerful God really worked in their lives. And God is the one who is keen not just to work at the waves that are around you, but to still the storm that is inside of you. The powerful thing that God works is not just to take care of the external, but the internal. When you and I go to a doctor with a complaint, oftentimes he may treat only the symptoms without getting to the root of the problem. And at times the things may recur again and again, and he will say, then now take so many tests to find out what is the root. When Jesus responds to our prayer, he does not just respond to the external, he responds to the internal as well. An old preacher speaking on this passage says that the waves and the wind ran from the ship like a whipped puppy dog. Now that is how much powerful God's answer to our prayers is. Why don't we cry out to him immediately? Why don't we pour out our frustrations to him immediately? Why don't we pass the practical test instead of murmuring to others during the whole week? And then we come to a church on a Sunday morning and then we want God to again do something in our lives. 
He says, I gave you practical tests, pass those tests, then move on to the next level of the theory as well. Sixthly, we must recognize the purpose of Jesus. We must recognize the purpose of Jesus. Jesus, we said in the beginning, knew the storm was going to come. And Jesus intentionally allowed the disciples to go in for its practical test. There was a purpose behind the storm. Now when storms come in, physical storms, if you notice, there are things that it reveals. For example, during the rainy season, if there's an extensive downpour, what happens if your building does not have signs of uh, breakages as it were before the storm, you'll find that the storm will show you cracks that have come in, leakages that have come in, and as a result, structurally something is wrong. That's what storms reveal. So physically, it shows you something is wrong with the structure. Similarly, the spiritual storms also show you that there's something wrong spiritually in your structure. And that is why storms are very, very important. Four possible purposes for the storms that God brings into our lives. Number one, we get a glimpse of what is really in our hearts. We get a glimpse of what is really in our hearts. When they face the storm, what is in their hearts? Fear. Fear. They were afraid. And that was there inside even though externally it may not have been there, but the storm revealed what was inside. What is fear? Fear is an uneasy feeling that something may happen contrary to one's desire. The possibility that something dreaded or unwanted may occur. Is that your feeling this morning? That you are constantly living in this fear that something unwanted may occur, contrary to your desire. But remember, if God is in control, you don't have to have that fear, because he has gone before you. Someone has said, for every man who stopped short of the goal because of a lack of power, ten ruined their chances by driving with their brakes on. A lot of people go through life with their brakes on. Not really in full throttle, allowing God to do His work. Internally, they are living in fear. What if this happens? What if that happens? And the storms show what is really inside of fear. Fear is looking at the storm, but faith is looking at Jesus. Amen. And that's what Jesus was trying to teach them. The purpose of the storm was to find out what is really inside of them, whether it was fear or faith. That's why Jesus asked them these two questions, isn't it? He says, why are you so afraid? Why are you fearful? How come you don't have any faith? Because these two things cannot go together. Secondly, we find that our self is revealed to ourselves. Before we go through a storm, we think that we can make it. We have past experiences. The disciples were fishermen. They knew about this lake. They thought they could handle it. But when the storm actually came, it showed 
their dependency on their self and past experience was not really sufficient for this particular situation. <coughs> A church newsletter said this particular thing. It said, if you want to greatly increase your chance for long life, you must do this. Never ride an automobile because 20% of all fatal accidents occur in cars. Don't stay at home. 17% of all accidents happen in the home. Don't walk on streets. 14% of all accidents happen to pedestrians. Don't travel by air, rail or water. 6% of accidents occur in this type of travel. Only one ten thousandth of one percent of all accidents occur or, or, or all deaths occur at church. As a result, to be on the safe side, attend all scheduled church meetings, it may save your life, if not anything else. When you come to a church meeting together, God is the one who instills into our hearts what is really important in life. When you are in the world, we think we can handle it. But when you come into the fellowship, it gives us a fresh perspective. Thirdly, we get to know our Savior more intimately. We get to know our Savior more intimately. At the end of it all, what did the disciples say? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They were terrified. In fact, the word that is used there in Greek for a great storm that came in is the same word that is here. Great fear came upon them. It was a whole new dimension, a whole new level of what they have experienced before. God wants to bring us into a closer walk with Him. But how is it going to happen? Through theory sessions every Sunday morning? No. It is through the practical sessions that happens during the week. If only we would allow him to. Fourthly, he allows us to go through these things so that we might set an example. So that we are able to share with people around us. Hey, this is the God whom I believe in. He is the one who has never failed me. His promises are always true. Yes, I went through this storm. Yes, I went through this hardship. Or when you're going through this hardship, the people around you are able to recognize there's something different inside of you. Finally, the seventh one. Remind yourself that storms do not go on forever. Storms don't go on forever. If you notice in chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, It went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Jesus said, I will take you to the other side. What happened? They did go to the other side. Storms don't go on forever. And also the purpose for which Jesus took them to the other side. There's the other interesting factor in John and Mark's gospel. What happened in Mark chapter 5? You find the man from you know, uh, the tombs comes to meet him in Gerasim. And here Jesus cuts out this legion of demons from this man. And then he sends him out to be a missionary in that particular area. And then the scripture tells us in verse 18, as chapter 5 verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. 
Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away. And the next verse says, When Jesus had <coughs> again crossed over to the boat on the other side. That was the only purpose for which Jesus <coughs> wanted them to go over to the other side. And they were willing to do that. Let's have a quick recap <coughs> before we close this morning. Seven principles we have learned to smile when we are in the storm. Rest in the presence of Jesus. Remember the promises of Jesus. Relax in the knowledge that you are not alone. Respond in prayer to the Lord. Rely on the power of Jesus. Recognize the purpose of Jesus. Remind yourself that storms don't go on forever.